Thank you. How is everyone today? <laughs> Heckling already, that's a good sign. Shows you're awake. Uh, before I get into this new series, I wanted to say if you missed um, any of the talks from our last series, which was major, uh, the major messages of the minor prophets, if you missed any of those, they are available on the info counter. There's some, there's actual, there's, there's some CDs there, but you may have to order some of the earlier ones. But I know for a lot of you, I heard really good feedback on that series and, and that it, it opened up a part of the Bible, sort of a new, a new room in the house, so to speak, that you weren't as familiar with. So uh, please grab those if you missed any. All right, so as JT was saying, uh, I get to kick off a new series today. You can see there on the screens, we're gonna be looking at the... Uh, the book of Philippians. This is a New Testament book. And when I think of Philippians, I think of a four-chaptered multivitamin. Like this is, a, uh, this is a loaded book. If you go into any Christian bookstore, you're gonna see verses from uh, the book of Philippians plastered all over, you know, uh, coffee mugs. You're gonna see them on bumper stickers. It's gonna be on T-shirts, New Testaments. It's gonna be on posters, bookmarks. I mean, you're gonna see it all over the place because this, this book is loaded uh, with encouragement. So if I said to you, to live is Christ, to die is, yeah, I can do all things through, you know these, uh, be anxious about, uh, and, all, and my God shall supply all your, See, you, you must have those same set of coffee mugs I do, but <laughs> this book is loaded uh, with encouragement, and it was written by the Apostle Paul uh, back in the year 62 AD or so, and it was written from, the, from Rome, and it was written from prison. This is one of the prison letters, and uh, Paul had visited a city of Philippi. You can throw up that picture of the map here. Back in 49 AD, and Philippi is up at the top there, the red arrow, it's modern day uh, Greece, and, and down the bottom is Jerusalem. And I wanted you to see this, because just to get a sense in Paul's day how much the gospel had spread. Remember, like, you know, Jesus said, I'm gonna empower you to be my witnesses, and you're gonna go beyond Jerusalem. And, it, and you can see there that it totally, totally is happening. And the story of how Paul uh, got to Philippi is in Acts 16, and as we go out this series, Throughout this series, we're going to be referring to that story. But uh, Paul was a missionary church planner, which means as he traveled around, and he had three, uh, three missionary journeys. Um, uh, as he would go around, he would hit all the major cities. He would go in, and basically, he would, just, he would tell the story of Jesus. He would preach the gospel. And people would, you know, God would hook their hearts, and people would say, yes to Jesus. I believe in Jesus. And he would gather them together, and boom. You've got a church. And then he would move on, and as he traveled, you know, he'd be getting email updates from these young churches, and he would hear that they're struggling. Oh, man, we don't, what do we do with this in this area, or what do we do in that area? And so Paul would write them a letter to, uh, to correct wherever they were getting off base or wherever it was they were struggling. And most, uh, really, I would say of the 13 letters Paul wrote, <clears throat> 12 of them do that. But Philippians is a, is a unique letter. This is not a, a letter of, uh, of correction. Philippians is, it really has the flavor of a personal letter. It's, it's like it comes through that Paul is writing to friends. And one of the uh, commentaries I read said that Paul was writing to a group of people that he not only loved, but that he really liked. And uh, having said that, there are some areas he does lean into because after all, uh, it's Paul. But, uh, but the, the feel of this letter is very warm 
And like I've said earlier, it's very encouraging. The primary theme of Philippians is Christian maturity. This book answers and, and, and I think really paints pictures for us of what Christian maturity looks like. Like what does a mature Christian look like in the way they respond to God? What does a mature Christian look like in the way they respond uh, to other people? You know, what, what does the thought life of a mature Christian look like? What do the actions, the words of a mature Christian look like? And Paul writes about this, and he really uses everyday situations or everyday areas that are indicators for you and I uh, of, of our growth. And have you ever thought about this, uh, that God's plan, uh, God's plan isn't just to get people saved. Like, you said the prayer, just go sit over here and just keep your nose clean. Right, that's not, have you ever considered that when, when you say yes to God, when you say yes to you know, the gospel message that you are saying yes to becoming a kingdom worksite where God is the architect, God is the contractor, God uh, is the laborer, God's plan for you and for I is to grow us up, is to mature us, that we would go from immaturity to maturity and really what maturity looks like is that you and I would look more and more uh, like Jesus. And, I had a, uh, an experience this week that sort of drove this home for me. Uh, at our small group Wednesday night, we have a couple, they have a little one-year-old. Her name is Abigail, and she is cute as cute can be. And I was sitting on the couch with, with her and her dad, and I was tickling her and playing with her, and I was tickling her little chubby one-year-old feet, and a, and, a, and a memory stirred up for me. When my, we have two sons. When they were little, I, when I would play with them, or I would put their whole foot in my mouth, right? Doesn't everybody do that? I just thought, you want to eat them up, but I can remember, oh, I could get their whole foot in my mouth. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking back to those days and, you know, uh, how much fun they were. And, but then I started to think, yeah, but, you know, it was a lot of work in those days. And, and, I, and I do miss the, the, uh, those days when they were young sometimes. I can't wait uh, to be a grandpa one day. But, uh, but I really do enjoy the season we're in now where these boys now are, are men, and, and I was thinking, though, it would be a very different story if, as they grew up physically, if they just made a decision at a young age, like, I don't want to grow up, I don't want to mature in any other way. It would be, you know, it would be a lot more work to have a 22-year-old toddler in the house. And it would, certainly would not be very cute to try to get their foot in my, in my mouth. I might need some, some plastic surgery or something. But, but just as it's God's plan for you and I to mature physically, to mature mentally, it's also his plan that we would mature, we'd go from immaturity to maturity, that we would mature spiritually. And as we get into this, uh, this series on Philippians, again, there are, there are all these pictures that we're gonna look at of what Christian maturity looks like. And what I love about Philippians is that along with those pictures, there's this constant encouragement that God is committed to do that work, that he is committed to do that work in our lives. So let's pray, and then we will... Uh, uh, well, I'll keep talking. <laughs> so, Lord, we, uh, um, I just, even as we were singing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, it just excited me to think that we aren't some people going through some religious exercise, but that we are the people of God in the presence of our God. And we say it again, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place. Come move on each heart, each mind. Come do what you've always planned to do today. I pray for soft and receptive hearts and minds. Lord, just come and have your way. We, we love your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.
Okay, so I said earlier that this letter was written by Paul and he wrote it while he was in Rome and he, again, he was in prison, he was awaiting trial and, and, and he didn't know it at the time but he was really awaiting uh, his execution and this letter, the letter to, uh, to the church in Philippi, it was written as a response uh, to a response and what I mean is this, when this little church, you know, this, in, in Philippi, when they heard that Paul was in, uh, was in prison in Rome, they love Paul, and they, they just had to do something. So they sent one of their, one of their main leaders, a guy named Epaphroditus, and he went, you know, trucking over to Rome, and he went to see Paul, and, and he went, and he went just to, you know, bring greetings from the church and just to express their love. He came with a financial gift for Paul. In those days when you went to jail, uh, if there wasn't someone outside of the prison to look after you, your stay would be pretty short because you probably wouldn't live very long. And so Epaphroditus was there to, you know, to care for his needs, to you know, probably buy food and different things like that. But he also came from Philippi uh, with a report to, to Paul who planted that church to say, hey, this is what's going on and this is how the, how the church is doing. And, and so the letter uh, of Philippians is a response to that visit. And, and again, he writes, Paul writes this warm, really like a, a loving letter to his Christian brothers and sisters in Philippi. And where I want to start before we jump into the, uh, the book of Philippians is I want to start really setting the tone of who Paul is by uh, looking at, at the author, by looking at Paul. Because to say that the apostle Paul wrote a warm, loving letter to his Christian brothers and sisters in Philippi is nothing short of, of miraculous. And here's what I mean. Number one in your notes is this. Number one is the gospel changes lives. <clears throat> the gospel changes lives. The first time we meet Paul, actually his name is Saul. Uh, he gets a name change along the way. But uh, first time we meet him is in Acts chapter seven. And literally, Paul is standing by watching uh, the first Christian martyr be killed, a guy named Stephen. And, and, and in the story, Paul, is, he's sort of standing like this. It's in the text, but, but he's standing like this, and, and he, it says that Paul is watching this murder where they're, I mean, what a way to die. They're pelting him with rocks, right? Paul is watching this, and it says that he is giving his, his full approval. He's looking at it with two thumbs up. And Paul was a Pharisee, he was a teacher of the Jewish law, and Paul was a persecutor of the Christian church. He hated Christians, because in his eyes they were uh, blasphemers. They were going around saying that Jesus is the son of God, right? They said that they believe that Jesus, well, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is alive, and Paul was going after them. And he would drag them out of their homes and he would throw all these Christians in jail. And because of Paul's persecution, uh, Christians were fleeing the city of Jerusalem and just spreading all around, all over the place. It's, it says in Acts that only the disciples stayed in Jerusalem. And, and, but I think they were shaking in their Birkenstocks because uh, uh, it says in Acts 9 that Paul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Right? I'm coming for you next. I'm gonna get you guys. And, and he is so passionate about this persecution, he goes to the high priest in Jerusalem to get uh, the, you know, the authorization to get permission to go to other cities and start purging those cities of, this, of these Christians. And so off he goes, he gets permission, and he's heading to Damascus, and that's where we're gonna take up his story. Acts 9, verse three says this. 
as he neared Damascus, as Paul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now, if you've never heard that story before, that's like, that's a crazy story. And it is a crazy story. I love this story. And just, just imagine, I mean, I, I love to visualize these things. They're riding along, you know, on their, on their horses. And, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, in the, in the middle of the day where it's plenty bright, I mean, how bright did that light have to be, right? It's like, it's like suddenly poof, a spotlight, a bright light is shining on Paul. And the light is so bright and it's so strong that it literally knocks him off his, off his horse and he's, you know, he's face down in the, in the, in the dirt and, and to top it off as if that wasn't crazy enough, suddenly a voice, you know, like a James Earl Jones, uh, Jones voice from heaven calls you by name, right? Saul, and, and starts saying, why are you persecuting me? Hey man, why, why are you attacking me? Why are you hurting me? And you know, when it says that Paul, you know, responds with, who are you, Lord? I don't think, I mean, I think he would have been like barely whispering that because he was terrified. Like, well, who are you, you know? And, and for, for the response to be, hey, I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus, the one you are persecuting. I, I'm like, I mean, remember, Paul was like a hero to the, to the Jewish people. He was like a rock star rabbi, because, you know, in, in many ways, they saw Paul kind of like a, well, if Chuck Norris was a Pharisee, that's, that's what Paul was, right? Am I? Let me move this back here. I normally cover my gills. What does that mean? Okay, Paul was like a Pharisee, and, and now suddenly, face down in the dirt, I mean, everything changes. Could you imagine as he's lying there thinking, Jesus, did you just say, I am Jesus? And he is lying there thinking, oh man, I've been throwing all these people into jail. I've been persecuting all these people and they were right and I was wrong. And now it doesn't say this in the story, but I am sure Paul is lying there thinking, you know, I guess his only choice is, you know, do you want uh, hot and spicy or crispy? I mean, he, he knows it's the end. It's the end of Paul. And he is expecting that, I mean, well, how else would God respond? How else would God respond to him because of all that he'd done? And so he's waiting for the, but it doesn't come, does it? In fact, what we see in the story is Jesus far from, you know, punishing him. Really what we see is Jesus in a pretty impressive way basically introduces himself to Paul. Hello, my name is Jesus. Hey, Paul, I'm Jesus. And really what we see in the story is Jesus introduces himself and really invites him into relationship. Now get up and go into the city and I'll tell you what you need to do. Basically he's saying to Paul, hey Paul, I'm Jesus and now you're with me. Now you're with me. And, and again, but the, you know, the words aren't written there but what I see in this, in this brief interaction is Paul is shaking in his boots in the, face down in the dirt. It's, it's like Jesus is going, hey Paul, I'm alive. And you know what, Paul? I love you. And I'm not gonna crush you. I'm not gonna punish you. And you know what, Paul? I forgive you. 
And I really dig you, Paul. I like your passion. I gave it to you. That's how I made you. Paul, I've got a plan for your life. Now get up and come follow me. And when you talk about the gospel, that's really the gospel, isn't it? Where God comes to you and just you know, meets you in whatever place you're in and he says, hey, I love you. Or hey, I'm alive, I'm real. And I love you. And I'm not gonna punish you. In fact, I forgive you. I mean, that's the gospel story and I made you. And I've, I've got a plan for you. And, and what we see in the life of Paul is he goes from that encounter with Jesus to just a few days later, you know, he heads over to the synagogue in Damascus and I'm sure the, the rabbis or the, you know, the, the leaders of that synagogue are looking and they see Paul coming up the street and they're like, yeah, here he comes. Here comes Chuck Norris. You know, here comes the persecutor. We get to see him in action. And Paul, if you're familiar with the story, he goes into the synagogue and, and he doesn't start persecuting. What he does is he starts preaching. He gets up and just starts preaching loud and clear that Jesus is alive. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. And we look at Paul's life and there's this, boom, there's this 180 degree turn. That's why I start off with that, that the gospel changes lives. And I start here because this event in the life of Paul is, is something that he never gets over. He never gets over this. And because of that, this event, this, in, this encounter with Jesus saturates everything Paul writes, everything uh, Paul says, because he cannot get over the response of Jesus to him. After all that he'd done, he cannot get over love and acceptance and, what, and, and, the, and the, the heart of, it's like what saturates Paul's letters is that, hey, the, the key, the heart of being a Christian, what it, what it means to be a Christian, he learned that day, it's relationship with Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's knowing Jesus. It's, it's actually being in a friendship with Jesus. It's not, it's not uh, you know, he didn't punish Paul for his behavior. He sure could have. Right? He didn't punish Paul. Or he, didn't, he didn't lecture Paul about his, his bad understanding or bad theology. Now, he got to all those things. But really what, what grabbed Paul and what changed his life is that, you know, the, the key to being a Christian is a relationship with Jesus. It starts there and it continues there. He may work, he'll, you know, he will work on the other things, right? He will work on the behavior and our understanding and all those things, but it's all about a relationship with Jesus. And that is so important to Paul that a little later on in Philippians 3, he says this in verse seven, looking back on his old life, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss. And a little later he says garbage. I consider them garbage for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul just never gets over the love and acceptance of Jesus. And, and he writes from this place. He, you know, he writes to us from this place. If he can love me, well, then he can love anybody. Right? He writes from this place that if he can change me, well, then he can change anybody. And if he wants to use me, I mean, I persecuted the church. If he, if he can use me, he can use anybody. And if you're here today and you think, you may not say it, but in your heart or in your mind, you think, I'm a hopeless case. Paul is here today, and as we go through this series, to say to you, that's not true. Look at my life, Paul says. Paul says to us, if you feel that way, Paul says that no one, he knows from experience, no one 
is beyond the reach of the love of God, of the power of God, of the, of the plans of God. And, and, and really what we'll see through Philippians, he's like that, that life that you long for, that peace that you long for, whatever it is that you long for, is going to be found in a very real friendship with, uh, with Jesus, with the very alive Jesus. So I say all that to set the backdrop for Philippians. So now let's switch gears and jump into Philippians 1, verse 1. Here's what it says. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So number two in your notes is the gospel finishes what it starts. The gospel finishes what it starts. And what we see, you know, typical of, 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 of letter writing in Paul's day is he starts it off by, by introducing, you know, here's who, here, who, here is who this letter is from, and he, you know, so he, he greets, and then he goes on to greeting them and in verses three and four, and again, there's, there's real warmth in the way he greets them. You can tell that there's a, there's a friendship and a history there. But then in verses five and six, we see uh, the theme of Christian maturity start to surface. You know, if this church, and again, these are approximate numbers, but if this church had been planted around 49 AD, and then he's writing now in uh, 62 AD, I think that's like 13 years, this church now has been functioning for 10 years plus for sure. And in verses five and six, Paul is, you know, Paul is saying to them, hey, whenever I pray for you guys, whenever I think of you guys, boy, I'm filled with joy. And, and, you know, I look at from, from the first day until now, it's like a proud papa. I'm looking at you, church in Philippi, and I'm like, wow, look at how you guys have grown, right? There's real tenderness, there's real love in that. But then he says in verse six, yeah, but as much as you've grown, don't ever forget that you've got a lot more growing to do. Is what, basically what he's saying in verse six. And, you know, that verse, Philippians 1, verse six, I'm not exaggerating at all. That is a verse I recite to myself uh, every day, because it is such an encouraging verse. Oh, let me read it again. Uh, verse six says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The gospel finishes what it starts. That God is, is, is committed to, uh, to taking you and I from immaturity to maturity. He is committed to that growth. And this is uh, 1 Corinthians 14. Paul also said this, of just the picture of God's plan to grow us. He says, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. Again, God wants to grow us up. He wants to mature us. And the, and the reason I find this verse, the one, uh, Philippians 1.6, the reason I find it so encouraging is that it points, it clearly points to the truth that this this job of growing us is 100% God's responsibility. I mean, isn't that encouraging? It's his job to, you know, to finish what he started that between now and the time Jesus returns or between now and the time when we die and go to heaven, that God is is committed to finishing the work 
that he has started in your life. It's his promise. And I find that super encouraging and because since I, as far back as I can remember, I can remember as a little boy, I have, uh, I've always had this fear of missing out. I think, don't they call that FOMO? Fear of missing out. I've always had this fear of, of falling behind. Right, like do you remember, I can remember in school being in the classroom and they're, maybe they're teaching something and I can remember that fear coming over me of everyone else is getting it except me. I'm, I'm not getting this. And you, do you know that feeling where you just feel like everyone's, the, the, you know, they're all moving ahead and you're sitting there going, oh no, I don't understand this. I'm not getting it. I'm falling behind. I, I'm not keeping up. I mean, can you, can you relate to that? I mean, I remember I'm, there's four boys in our family and I'm the youngest I have three older brothers, and they were all jocks. And uh, I was the one that just wanted to, you know, get up on a stage and d- jump around and sing and stuff. But I, I, I had to be a jock because they were jocks. And as I went through school, I literally was constantly comparing myself to, you know, what they accomplished as a marker of, am I keeping up? Does that make sense? Right, so I mean, I would literally say, well, okay, you know, Peter was the, Peter won all those ribbons in, in, in you know, at, at, when he was in grade seven, so, oh boy, I gotta win all those ribbons, or, you know, David was the captain of that team when, when he was this age, so I gotta, and literally, I would compare myself to them to determine uh, my growth, to determine whether or not I was keeping up, and let me just say, in case it isn't obvious, that that's not a good idea. That's not a healthy way to live life to compare yourself to others to get a sense of, of where you're at in life. Because here's the, here's the thing that, that I've learned now that I'm a little older, uh, um, the, that that mindset, that comparing game, if you will, that it didn't stop when I graduated from school. In fact, it sort of really got worse in a lot of ways. And really, it, what changed was, I just compare now about different things. It's not sports anymore, believe me. I'm not winning any more ribbons. But, but it's, it's careers. It's stuff. It's, you know, I mean, wait till you, you know this. If you have children or grandchildren or nieces and nephews that, that suddenly, you know, there's something happens where you're not only stressed about, am I keeping up when it's your kid or your niece or your nephew or grandkid and you start to get stressed about, are they, is my child keeping up? That's a whole new level. That's a whole new level of stress. And, you know, you look at the world, you look at, I mean, again, school is, school, school is so competitive. From day one all the way through, it's so competitive and there's so much stress and there's so much like, oh, man, are you taking the right classes? Who are you, you know, are you, are you on the right track to get, you know, to, to accomplish your goals? Are you, I mean, hey, you're, you're 14. Do you know what you want to do in life? Well, you know, I, want, oh, I, like, I like pizza. I mean, it's like, you know, you're, you're, you're 19. You're getting ready to graduate. Do you, have you got a plan? Have you, you know, you're, you're almost 52. Have you figured it out? No, I haven't. I haven't. And it's so stressful. And what we see in Philippians is this incredible encouraging, peace-giving truth that God says, hey, don't forget, you're my workmanship. You're my responsibility uh, uh, to finish. And, uh, you know, what we see is all through the Bible, we see all these examples of where God is growing his kids. And uh, wouldn't you agree, if you just, I don't know who would come to your mind, but wouldn't you agree that typically the growth uh, process that we see in the lives of our Bible heroes, it's a slow growth. 
process. Very few are like Paul. I mean, Paul was zero to 60 in 2.3 seconds. He went from persecutor to preacher, you know, like boom, like, like that. That's, that's not the norm. I mean, Moses, Moses has this sense of call that God's got plans for me and then God goes, hey, why don't you, I, I want you to go now and be a shepherd for 40 years in the middle of nowhere and in 40 years I'm gonna call you. 40 years, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm like, 40 years, 40 minutes I'm questioning God. Where are you? It's been 40 minutes. I mean, what's going on in my life? And um, there's a book called The Complete Green Letters by a guy named Miles Sanford, and he compares Christian growth uh, to the growth of trees. Listen to this quote. <clears throat> it seems that most believers have difficulty in realizing and facing up uh, to the unyielding fact that God does not hurry in his development of our Christian life. He is working from and for eternity. So many people feel they are not making progress unless they are swiftly and constantly forging ahead. Now it is true that the new convert often begins and continues for some time at a fast rate, but this will not continue if there's to be healthy growth and ultimate maturity. God himself will modify the pace. This is important to see, since in most instances when decline begins to set in, it is not, as so many think, a matter of backsliding. When God wants to make an oak tree, he takes 100 years. But when he wants to make a squash, he takes six months. Growth is not a uniform thing in the tree or in the Christian. In some single months, there is more growth than in all the year besides. During the rest of the year, however, there is solidification without which the green timber would be useless. And he goes on to say that you know, in, the life, in a, in a one-year span of a tree's life, he says that there's like a month or month and a half where a tree grows up and out, sort of like you and I. We grow up and out. Uh, but then he says the next 10 and a half months of that year, that little bit of growth hardens up. It, it solidifies. And isn't that how God works with us? It's this slow growth where he leans into an attitude. He leans into a discipline or a lack of discipline. He leads into an understanding about who he is or about life or who you think you are. And he just is, is like this little, there's like this little bump of growth where, where something just comes alive to you. Something becomes real. You just, all of a sudden you see yourself or others differently. And it's like then God just spends all this time hardening that, giving you opportunities to walk, to walk that out. You know, Christian maturity is learning to rest in God's promises that he's going to finish the work he started in you and the work he started in your loved one. Christian maturity is believing that's still true even when you don't see the solidifying work that he's doing under the surface. You know, I know today that there are many of you uh, are so afraid of missing out you're so afraid of falling behind. And you're like, you're like, you're stressed because I've got to be at the right event or I've got to get connected with the right person or I, or I have to, you know, uh, I, you know I've, I've got to get this fixed in my life or I have to get that taken care of before I can advance or like you've got, all, you're, you've got it all written out and, and you're so stressed out. And today what you need to hear is, hey, just go, just take a seat and relax. You are my responsibility, God says. It's my job to grow you and change you. And if I have to, I can pull a pole and whoop, I'll whip you forward, you know, snakes and ladders. You'll hit a ladder, right? If you know, you know what that is? Uh, yeah, okay, because you're like, oh, I knew snakes were, you know, okay, that's, 
We'll edit that part. I, I had a whole story pop into my mind. But if he has to, he can quickly advance you. But your job is to trust in the work that he has promised to do. Okay, so Paul continues expressing his love for the church in verses seven and eight, and then we're gonna end with this. Uh, let's take it up in verse nine. <clears throat> and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So I wanna end off by focusing on uh, Paul's prayer, but on one part of his prayer where he says uh, basically that your love would grow, again, in this context of maturing, that your love would grow uh, both in knowledge uh, and depth of insight. And uh, number three in your notes is this. The gospel is all about love. The gospel is all about love. And remember this, the talk I did on Malachi, I think two weekends ago, where I said that, that God's plan for the people of Israel was that he wanted to, he chose them, he specifically chose them from all the other nations because he wanted to lift them up and put them on display for all the world to see. That, you know, you want to see what it's like for, for people to be in a relationship with God? Look at these guys. This is what it looks like. And remember I said that that's his plan for you and I that he wants to put you and I as we go about our lives, the way we live our lives, and on and on and on, he wants to put us on display for all the world to see. That that, you know, his, his uh, rescue mission on earth is really, it's to reveal himself through you and I as we are put on display. And so as, as Paul expresses this prayer to the, this church in Philippi, Paul's know, Paul knows that if God's people aren't growing in the area of love, if their hearts aren't getting bigger, if their understanding of what real love is isn't growing, he knows that it is going to get in the way of, the, of the, the, you know, God's plan to shine through his people, that the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is would flow through us. And, and because he also knows that if God's people are responding to God's growth and if, there, if our hearts are growing you know, uh, uh, with love and if our understanding of what love really is is growing, Paul knows that we are gonna shine bright. And the way God's made it is that as, as we shine bright with the love of Jesus, that people are gonna see that, experience that, and they're gonna want to know Jesus. But for this growth to happen, there needs to be a letting go of the old and an embracing of, of the new. And so again, in the context of maturity and growth, it's sort of like God is coming to us and, and he's looking at our little love and he's going, hey, you know, we want to make an exchange. You, you hand me your little love, and, I'm, and I want to give you my great love. I want to replace that. Or you, you know, you're sort of looking at your understanding of what love is, which is more sentimental, right? Or I know in my case, it can be very selfish, my love. And God's like, hey, why don't you let me take that, and I'm going to replace it with, with my understanding of love, God says. A love that is... Um, that's not based on feelings. A love that is based on conviction and truth. A love that is empowered by the Spirit of God. A love that is the opposite of selfish. A love that is, that is selfless. Here's, a, here's just a snapshot of the love he's talking about. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul also said this, verse four. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. 
It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's all that we have to learn. That's it. (laughs) So that's, okay. Mature Christians are people who know that they are loved like that. Who know that they are loved like that in whatever condition they're in. That's, 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 That's a mature Christian. And then a mature Christian, knowing that they're loved that way, is someone who now turns to others, turns to the world, and does their best now to love others in the same way, in whatever condition that, uh, that they are in. You know, when Paul writes you know, a, a prayer in any of his letters, really when he says, hey, and this is my prayer for you, you know, Ephesians or, or people of Ephesus, or people, whenever he says, this is my prayer for you, really what he's doing is he is foreshadowing to something he wants to lean into in this letter, something he wants to talk about. And in a couple weeks, Heather's gonna be talking on on the very thing that Paul is addressing in this prayer, that one of the reports that he'd received back, you know, about this church in Philippi was that there was some disunity. There was a lack of love that he, you know, and Heather's gonna gonna speak into that. But, but, you know, when you think of this thing of disunity, uh, wouldn't you agree that when you watch the news, when you look at the world, uh, we're in a season of lots of disunity. Isn't that, I mean, it's like, you don't need to be, you know, I mean, it's sort of like Captain Obvious, like, yeah, duh, that's pretty obvious. I mean, there's so much disunity, whether it's nation to nation, if you were following on the news, the, the G7 summit, and uh, just some of the things that were said and done, or, you know, the ongoing things with North Korea, so much disunity between political parties. I mean, when, when hasn't there been disunity there? Or, but there's disunity within political parties. And there's lots of disunity amongst uh, the supporters of different political parties. I mean, we saw that, uh, I mean, uh, just come to life in a big way, the whole thing with the children, the refugee, uh, children of refugees being taken, and now thankfully they're being reunited with their families. Uh, we see uh, disunity, ongoing disunity between races. I mean, this sounds insensitive, but I, another, another, you know, more violence, more, another shooting, it's just so normal now, isn't it? It's just this level, these levels of disunity, it's just, it's just sort of the, it's the norm. And as I've been praying about these different things and even praying about this weekend and this talk, I felt like the Lord said this to me. And, uh, he said, just like a strong wind tests the strength of a tree's roots, so a strong wind of disunity exposes the level of love in the human heart. Now let me read that again. Just like a strong wind tests the strength of a tree's roots, so a strong wind of disunity exposes the level of love in the human heart. All these winds of disunity, I mean, I mean it, it stirs up all these strong emotions. It stirs up in our hearts strong opinions and it's, and it's sort of like, like the, the condition of our hearts comes, comes roaring to the surface. And what I see and as I've been praying is, is God is like, this is, a, this is an opportune time in a season like this. This is, this is where God leans in and goes, this is an opportunity for growth where it's like, boom, you know what? Strong feelings and opinions have roared to the surface and it's like God's looking at your heart and he's going, oh, ooh, what's that? I see your heart. You know, can I, can I show you mine? And, 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 but again, for us, to, for us to grow, 
There needs to be a willingness to say, okay, here you go. I'll give this to you, right? What, what's, been, what's been stirred up. And, you know, it's like we have to hand over our little, our smaller loves to make room for his great love. And some of these smaller loves are uh, like a personal love where really what I love is me. Really what I love and what's top of my list is me, my appetites, my wants. And far from loving others, I use others to satisfy me. Or maybe it's a passive love where, uh, you know, when you, you know, the struggle of other people and the hardship of other people, as long as it doesn't impact my life, who cares? Who cares? Or it could be a patriot love where, you know, where your primary concern is protecting your, you know, our way of life and just totally disregarding the needs of others beyond our borders. And, you know, God is looking at that and he's saying, I want to grow you. Right? I want to I take what's coming out of you right now and I want to mature you. I want you to be more, more like Jesus. And for some of you, you may be in a place of just going, ugh, but I've always been like this. And God's like, yeah, I know, I know. But, but will you let me, will you let me grow you? Right? And again, we're not passive in this. I mean, it's 100% his work but we're not passive, meaning our, our part is to say, okay, yes, I, I'm giving this over to you. And as best as I can, I'm opening up saying, okay, teach me how to love. Teach me how to love the way Jesus loves. And why is this important? Why is this important for us to grow in this area? Well, let me bring that closer to home because that's a huge question. I heard two things this last week that really got my attention. <clears throat> and one of them was this, that in the Sunbury area, in the next two to three years, uh, uh, close to, I think it's 2,500 homes are going to be built. And I'm not saying like they potentially, these are approved developments in our area. 2,500 homes, and hopefully at Chipotle. But, okay, so <clears throat> now you're listening, now you're taking notes. So that's one thing. Another thing I heard on Friday, it was announced that the property just north of our property, right beyond the power lines here, has been purchased by Big Walnut School District. And right on, you know, we're going to have new neighbors. They are building a high school elementary, and an elementary school. So why is it important for you and I to be open to growth and change? To take the condition of our hearts now and to say, make me more like Jesus. Why is that important? Because God is bringing people to us. I mean, literally, the fish are, jump, are gonna be jumping into the boat. And, and he wants us to get ready. He wants us to get ready that we would mature. That we would mature to a place where as, as new people are coming through the doors, as new people are moving into your neighborhood, as all the change that's going on, that we would be at a place where we would love and welcome people with the same kind of love Jesus welcomed and loves you with. And what I love about Philippians, again, it's, there's all these wonderful pictures of what it looks like to be that kind of person, to be a mature Christian. And I, and I just invite you, as we get into this series, to say, okay, Lord, here's my heart. Uh, come and, and grow me. So why, why don't we stand up? <clears throat> Let's just uh, quiet ourselves. <clears throat> so Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that we're in the presence of the one 
who knows how to work with people. Millions and millions of millions of people you have taken from immaturity to maturity. You have taken a, a, people like Paul, evil, selfish, mean jerks, and you've turned them into wonderful lovers of Jesus and lovers of others. And we just welcome you. Lord, there's no one in this room that is beyond your ability to change. So just come, Lord. Just come, Lord. Hmm. I just see, even as we're in, the, in this quiet, I just see the Lord is standing in front of some of you with a mirror. And he's just saying, hey, and he just wants you to look into the mirror. It's not a condemning thing. It's just, hey, son, daughter, I want to show you something. There's something I, you know, that I want to, I want to get at. So, here, here's how we're gonna end off today. If anything that I said, any, anything in my talk, if it, if it hooked your heart, okay, that's an indicator that God wants to work on that area. So when I call people forward for prayer, I encourage you, come on up. God is wanting to work in your life. Uh, I also ask some people to pray uh, for words. So is the microphone there? Go ahead, you guys. Let, go for it, Bill. So they're just gonna share Hello. what God gave them, and then, and then we'll... So it's funny because Michael just said it again earlier. He said, uh, hook your heart. And for some reason that just that phrase kept going through my mind. And I, I asked God, like, what do you, what does that mean? And why do you keep saying, why am I saying that over and over again in my mind? And, um, I feel like God said, everyone is born with a hook in their heart. And, from birth, I begin to start gently reeling you in or pulling you into me. But unfortunately, as we get older, um, life circumstances or pride or fear or different things, we begin to resist that. And we, we, and we fight that pulling in, that reeling in of him into him. And um, then eventually, um, we feel like there's nothing that, there's certain things we've done, whether it's a sin pattern or pride or, or whatever, that he can't overlook. But we forget that the gift he give, the grace, the gift is free, and there's nothing that he doesn't know, and there's nothing that surprises him. And so, I guess just with that, I would just encourage you: if there's something that you feel like I can't get past this, or God can't pull me through this, that's a lie from the evil one. And I would just encourage you to, to come up and get prayer for that. So, awesome. Rebecca? <clears throat> Sometimes also the Lord likes to get our attention by giving us some kind of a physical touch in some way. And I believe very sincerely that there are people here who don't understand the depth, the of how much God loves them and how big it is um, and wants to carry them through life. 
there are people that are weary, that are uh, overwhelmed, that are in situations that are not going to end very soon. However, God wants you to understand what it is to rest on the love that he has for you. And if anybody here, um, I got a pain in my lower back, which as soon as I was praying about this subsided. So I want to pray for anybody that uh, they may not be like, cognizant of it right away, but if you've experienced that, that kind of pain, I would really like to pray for you. Hmm. Great. Jared? Um, during worship, I just kept getting the word restore, and that some of you have recently lost something or someone, and that God wants to restore that like loss and just make you feel whole again with his love. And I've just spent the last week with some of your middle schoolers and getting to pray for them. And I just hope that all of you will, if you feel any response to any of this, that you will let God restore your heart and just take that jump for prayer because it's totally worth it. That's great. Okay, so any of those words, uh, anything that I said in in the talk, I want to invite you forward for prayer. If you're in need of prayer for any reason, whether it's physical, emotional, relational, we just want to invite you to come on forward and let someone pray for you. So uh, Isaiah's going to lead us in a song. Sing along, but as folks come forward for prayer, let's make sure uh, everyone has someone praying for them. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run mountain I drink from, oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I So we're going to need lots of prayers. Ransom for my life, oh, he is my Let's make sure everyone has someone praying for me. You are
Be the mountain where I run It's the fountain I drink from Oh, he is my song So let the king of my heart Be the shadow where I hide It's the ransom for my life Oh, he is my song And he is good Thank you for your, your presence here and, uh, and just all the ways you're coming close. Lord, we pray that uh, as we get into this series that you would, uh, we just say yes to what you have for us. We just say, Lord, I have felt stuck for so long. And so I just say yes to whatever it is you want to, want to do in my life, in my heart. All right. And I pray that uh, for each one of us that, that you would uh, just fan the flame of encouragement, uh, uh, just that hope that you are committed to finishing what you've started in us. Lord, so whether that's for us or for, for a loved one, for a spouse, for a friend, for our, a child, a grandchild, niece, nephew, Lord, that we would look at them through different eyes. We'd look at them through eyes of faith that, uh, that you are committed to them. Lord, you're committed to finishing what you started. Thank you for your presence. Uh, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.